You're listening to the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, your host, Ben Eagle. For previous episodes, visit thinkingcountry.com or find the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud by searching for Meet the Farmers. Hello and welcome to episode 52 of Meet the Farmers. Big thanks again to the Mercer Charitable Foundation for supporting this episode. We're on to stop number five on the latest podcast road trip around the Cotswolds, Herefordshire, Worcestershire and North Wales. And I'm really pleased to be here on this leg in Herefordshire with Mr Ali Hunter-Blair. Ali farms around 500 acres of land rented from the Duchy of Cornwall. He took on the succession of the tenancy from his father in 2012 and rose to fame during the Channel 4's First Time Farmers. And you may also have seen him on Twitter through the amazing combine karaoke. Um, I'm actually going to start with first time farmers yeah um how did you get into that and what was that like as an experience um first time farmers got that was a long time ago now we filmed 2012 so 2011 i got a phone call from one of the producers and a friend of mine from college had put my name forward and in those days what was it called it was going to be called young farmers not first time farmers which was awful. Uh, okay. uh, so it's going to be called young farmers and the whole idea was is they wanted young people uh, promoting agriculture they wanted to get rid of the mentality that people had that uh, farming is a load of old boys shouting at people in flat caps telling them to get off their land Um, and from my point of view I was sort of 25 wanting to be on TV that sounds great Um, wanting to show that actually there is this whole new generation of farmers the technology and everything has moved on we're not all rich, flat cap wearing landowners, sadly, as much as I'd like to be. Um, and they, they, they spun it like that and they said, you know, we want to follow a few farmers around, literally camera over the shoulder job, follow you and see if we can promote youth in agriculture. And so as a tenant of Dutchie Cobble here, yeah. um, and you're a second generation? Second generation on AHA, yeah. So take me back to growing up on the farm. Yeah, so I, um, I mean, um, I saw, I, we've, got, we've got a baby coming at the moment and everyone's like, oh, well, 18 years. I was like, well, I'm 32 <laughs> and I still haven't moved anywhere. I've actually, I've actually kicked mum and dad out and moved in. So um, yeah, so, so growing up here was amazing. Um, I've yeah, been here my whole life. Dad got the tenancy in 1968 uh, after... National service and all that sort of stuff. He's slightly older. He's uh, eighty. He's nearly eighty-three, which I'm pleased about. Me telling everybody. Uh, so I was um, very lucky that I didn't really have huge barriers in my way to take over the tenancy. But um, oh, growing, oh, you can't beat it. You can't be growing up on a farm. I mean, I'm I'm totally and utterly biased, but you just have like just the countryside and just. I mean, now there's probably more health and safety than there was there, but having you just have so much freedom and so much time to play and you, you learn your boundaries very quickly you know that you're not allowed to go in with the sheep or you're not allowed to to be like you get very much told off if you go through that gateway type thing so um but yeah oh god i've got such fond memories of, of being on the farm yeah and you're broadly arable and sheep here yeah how has that changed since you were younger since you're growing up so we used to have a lot more sheep i hate them uh that's pretty much <laughs> the long and short of it uh mum mum loves the sheep so dad's always done the arable mum's done the sheep uh we used to have 250 breeding ewes. Mum slowly changed them from a clean cross uh, Texel and Suffolk uh, to a, an easy care wool shedding ewe. She didn't like the easy cares particularly. So she liked Wiltshire horns, so she bought Wiltshire horns, put them to a clean, um, or put Wiltshire horn types, put them to a clean to try and build the prolificity, get rid of the horns and get rid of the wool. She did a fantastic job of doing that, created a lovely, very easy care flock to look after. I came in in 2012, took over, got rid of the whole lot. 
and then in 2013 brought them all back again. <laughs> uh, we had some new lambs in, so okay. so that's changed slightly. Um, yeah, we lamb we lamb now only 60, 70, and actually we're slowly but surely thinking we might get rid of those, which. I won't miss, but since we've started changing the way that we farm with cover crops and bits and bobs like that, they do a fantastic job of raising that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, sadly, as I as a kid, Dad was the one that took me around the farm, uh, showed me that tractors can be shut up at seven o'clock at night, <laughs> and we don't have to worry about them until the morning. Whereas sheep just try to cause as much uh, much damage as possibly can, usually at the most antisocial hours. Uh, your report on Harvest Twenty Nineteen. How was it for you? Harvest 2019, um, difficult. Yields, wheat yields have been fantastic, phenomenal, some of the best we've had. Uh, spring barley did okay. Obviously, the price has dropped. We've dried a lot more corn than we did last year. Last year, we had the easiest harvest in the world, but the yields were down. This year, harvest was, it felt long. It felt like a real struggle to mm-hmm. get everything in. We had a lot of rain. I've dried hundreds of tons of barley this year just to try and get the malt we've struggled with malting premiums for the last two years so we probably dried a lot more than we needed to given that September was so nice but from my point of view I'd rather have it in the shed and dry it for a couple of pound a ton than have it sat out exposed to well weather like we've got now so um, I'd almost say it was more of a normal year if I'm completely honest yeah. we combined some dry we combined some wet we got it all done whereas last year I think we combined for we combined for 19 days straight without a break mm. and that and we didn't dry grain fantastic like from a combining point of view we didn't have to worry about tipping wet grain and that's always our problem logistically wet grain into store through the dryer then into the main store last year we just ploughed through it never really stopped yeah. uh, this year it was much more go and nibble do five acres then it rains go and have another nibble yeah um, which I suppose like, this side of the country that's what we're used to across this road trip um all the people on it really there's there's quite a few tenants on it and one of the things I'm talking about is securing tenancies and getting into farming that way and you took on your tenancy at 25 um what what was that like as a process so um yeah I mean again I'm very fortunate to have been able to take on a tenancy at 25 having an older father has really helped in that respect also having three sisters that weren't interested in farming because they can make loads more money doing something else (laughs) the sensible Uh, ones yeah the sensible ones that uh, have time off Um, so I had a pretty easy transition Um, my only caveats were that the duchy required uh, me to have an agricultural qualification they wanted me to be 30 and they wanted me to have 10 years management experience Um, and that tends to be across the board on the AHA successions. However, with dad at the age that he was, they were very good um, in helping me, helping me change. I mean, they went to town on me on the rent, Yeah. but uh, they were, they sort of, they, they were very helpful in the fact that they didn't make me go through a formal resignation and takeover process. It was all done very much by agreement. Uh, they had a good go over on the rent. Um, but they were very keen and HRH is very keen to keep family farms in business and keep people people okay. turning over. So um, they were very helpful. Uh, but yeah, I pay a significant amount more rent than we used to. Yeah. <laughs> and the Dutchie is a landlord? Dutchie is a landlord. Yeah, fantastic. Um, they are, we're very lucky to have them. Um, I mean, I think we're actually one of the youngest estates. I think they bought the guy's estate in 2000, or 99, 2000. So we've only been in the Dutchie system for 19 years. Um but they're very helpful, they're very hands-off. Um, I don't really speak to anybody unless I've got a serious issue or they don't speak to me unless they've got a serious issue or they want a rent review. So um, yeah, they're hands-off, they let you get on with it. 
um, we're not forced to be organic, which is which is good because that's not really the way that I want to run. Um, and yeah, I think as long as you're doing a good job and paying the rent, they're pretty happy. Yeah. So I mean, Herefordshire. One of the things about Herefordshire really is that there's a there's actually quite a wide range in ag yeah. within the county. Uh, there's a lot that's going on. Um, and I think you have fairly light soils here. Very light, yeah, very light sandy soils. Yeah, they always say that in Herefordshire, or Herefordshire and Kent are the two places that you can probably grow anything. Yeah. And like within within a five mile radius, not even that, a two mile radius of here, we've got all the arable crops, spuds, asparagus, strawberries, raspberries, blueberries, yeah. rhubarb. You know, we've got everything within hops, the whole world. You basically, if you can't farm it in Herefordshire, you probably can't farm it in the UK. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've got very light sand that wears through metal for fun, um, but warms up very quickly, drains very freely, which is why it's perfect for the asparagus guys. Um, droughts out massively, and that's one of our biggest issues here is is drought. Even though we live so close to Wales and we do get a fair bit of rainfall, um, our sand will just lose moisture for fun. So moving forward, do you see that as, as one of your key issues? I think from my point of view, the our biggest issues going forward are going to be water availability or water storage. I mean, pesticides are always going to be a massive talking point for the next 10 years. Um, and then I think phosphate is going to be a big thing yeah. living so close to the river. That's what I see as our big issue. So. What we're trying to do now, rightly or wrongly, is we've we've joined the sort of direct drilling crowd, um, whether we follow the trend or not. We haven't gone straight into the no-till. We've gone down a strip-till road with the Missouri. But the idea is that we now start to build our organic matters back up. We did years and years of potatoes. Um, our organic matters are through the floor. You can throw as much muck at this ground as you like, but the bacteria just burn through organic matter for fun. So from my point of view now, we're in a, we're in a 10, 20-year process of just slowly but surely rebuilding the soil. I mean, we yield fairly well. We're never going to be the big Lincolnshire boys that can do 12, 14 tonne a hectare. We're aiming for 10 tonne a hectare on the wheat. And if we do more this year, we will have done. Great. But that's where our goal is set at the moment. Um, but water availability is always going to be our biggest issue. So my idea is to build up the organic matter to store more water and hopefully increase the soil health that way. Clearly, it's certainly a, a very volatile time in terms of the uncertainty of prices. Um, is your strategy hold on or sell up? Um, my, to be honest, my completely honest, my strategy is diversify. Yeah. Um, as far as I'm concerned, the assets that we have here as a farm are probably better suited to having people on it than they are to growing crops so actually rather than lose sleep of when you're going to sell be selling your grain yeah you're actually thinking how can i bring anything coming in other ways yeah and that's and like so we we have a fairly not static marketing strategy we we sell some uh, basically we've got to cover the rent that's long story short and I, if, if i can see a profit in january for next year's crop i'll sell some corn and i usually sell 50 percent forward and 50 percent throughout the year that's yeah. tends to be our strategy last year was the worst thing I ever did because obviously the price got to £200 a tonne I sold a lot at 140 this year we sold a lot at 160 and suddenly it looks like the right thing to do so but it's a gamble uh, it is, it? it's, it's a total gamble and like, as this is my old man always says sadly he is full of good advice sometimes <laughs> uh, but he always you know like the old days wheat price used to be the price and then it used to raise by a pound per tonne for the, the month an extra month that you could store it whereas now it can raise rise and lower 10 pounds within a day you know if you ring up at the wrong time you can suddenly be up or down a tenner um, so our strategy for that is our rapers pool marketed uh, through United Oil Seeds fantastic from them they they are 
a wonderful company who I wish we could do more dealings with, quite honestly. Um, they We never hit the top of market, obviously. It's a pool. We never hit the bottom, but they are consistently outperformed probably what I would sell at over the last 10 years. The malting barley is now proving very difficult because there is no market. They are terrified about, I think they're talking about a 70 euro ton tariff post-Brexit. So malting barley premium is A, tiny, and B, there aren't any markets. So the frontiers of this world are telling me that we've got some on contract which will go, but beyond that, we might as well sell it for fee because the premium is what, four or five pound a ton? I need, I need one load rejected and I might as well have got it for feed. So that's our tricky one because that's our specialist crop. And the wheat is really our, I suppose that's our bread and butter. We're very lucky we've got Sun Valley just up the road. So it's a five, four pound haul. Um, and they, yeah, that's always a really safe home. And we're only ever going to be able to grow feed wheat. We can grow good quality malting barley, but we can't grow milling wheat. So from a cropping point of view, it's an interesting one. One of the biggest uh, strengths is the sugar beet that we can grow over here, which now goes to AD. Used to, we always used to go to the factory. Obviously, they closed all of those and moved them to the east. Um, but the AD plants just came online as we were starting. We were carried on growing a bit for, for all the stock boys. But yeah, then the AD plants came online and that's just given us a whole new lifeline. It grows beautifully over here. And then the final crop is the soya, which is a interesting choice of crop. Uh, <laughs> And one that is still very much under evaluation. We've had, third, this is our third year of soil. We've had one, first year was average, 0.8 ton an acre. Set let, last year was dreamy, ton an acre. And I was like, I know how to grow this crop. This is fantastic. This year's going to be a bloody disaster. It's still in the ground now. Um, I need to combine it. I reckon if we get half a ton an acre, we'll be doing quite well. Yeah. That wet June has just absolutely snookered it. Yeah. Um, so I think I'll keep it on for another year. It's only a small acreage. It basically makes our fifth crop that goes around the farm with the sugar beet. Um, so yeah, I think I'll keep it for another year. But I don't know. I, there's there's part of me that goes, bloody hell, you're a genius. This will work. This will work. This will be like maize 30 years ago where you couldn't grow it north, south, north of Cornwall and now you can grow it all the way up. Yeah. And then there's the other part of me going come on 95% of it's GM for a reason what are you playing at but then we grew peas instead before and they were uh, yeah they were a one in five crop one in five years we had a good year the rest of them they sort of broke even just the thing I like about it is it fixes nitrogen the wheat after it is always magnificent so yeah as a rotational crop it's great we can put a cover crop in late and graze that but as a money making scheme not my not my finest hour you're no stranger when it comes to farming PR, and you've had some really interesting, or slightly off the wall. I'm going to call them campaigns, but in your words, they probably wouldn't be a campaign. Mm. Um, like combine karaoke. Yeah. So a quarter of a million on Facebook. Yeah, it went a bit crazy because the yeah, BBC got involved. Massive, yeah, massive on Facebook, especially. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It started out. It, it was. It was a really. It was 2014. We're having a horrible combining time, and I was. I just sang Frozen into the camera. Uh, and put it on Twitter or whatever it was and people just seemed to like it and then it sort of got bigger and now I'm sort of not it's not a victim of its own success but every year I'm like there's so much pressure All my, my I've got great followers and they're fantastic on yeah. Twitter and stuff but they're like when's Combine Karaoke coming you're like I don't know if I can beat this and then suddenly you have a crap year and like, I haven't got the energy to be doing it so yeah. um, I don't know from my point of view um, it's social media it, for me is a really good way to uh, to learn about stuff that you don't know about. Um, there's obviously some huge opinions on there, especially in agriculture. Uh, but I just I want to reach people that aren't involved in farming. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's really difficult because we talk in jargon that we don't realise is jargon. Mm-hmm. And something like an idiot singing to a random song in a tractor cab 
can I mean I know a lot of people think I'm an idiot and I, I, I perfectly accept that <laughs> I am and like they know me very well that's great but there's a lot of people that love it and there's also like yeah the the, the, the this is me one the, the greatest showman like you know you've got 250,000 people the BBC get involved that has another half a million hits like suddenly you've hit people that aren't involved in agriculture and you've you've sparked a conversation if not an interest yeah. and I think for me that's more important than maybe talking to other farmers on social media and that sort of thing and that's the idea is that it brings a sort of sense of realism to uh, an industry that I think has lost touch with its with its consumer yeah I'll come in there as yet and so the any non-farming listeners out there do get in touch if we're getting to a stage with anyone or me and we're using terms or jargon or please just pick us up on it yeah. because it's so easy to do when you're surrounded so, so it all the time and thing. that goes not just farming that goes for any any sort of yeah, any sector or any uh, yeah. thing you're working in and that's it and that, but it is so easy to because we talk about in the same way that any other oh, I don't know podcast or TV programme or whatever it is if you are an expert in inverted commas in your field and you talk about that every single day yeah, want, the people who are also experts yeah you're going to use the terminology that makes sense. Like, you're going to say, oh, yeah, so I'm going to go drill this crop. Well, the average person isn't going to have a clue that you don't mean drilling a hole and popping a seed. You know, you, you, you mean planting. That's yeah. what, And people can understand the term planting because they yeah. do that in their gardens. Yeah. Drilling, you're going to drill a hole in the wall. It doesn't make any sense. But to, to you and I, you go, well, we've we just gone to go drill wheat in that field. It makes perfect sense. And that's, that's the sort of thing. And the combine karaoke was an interesting thing. I think there's a... The lovely thing about farming now is that... Twitter has, uh, and social media has brought about a community that you'd never have had previously. Like I have been speaking to people on Twitter for, I think I've been on it 10 years now, or it's just under. Yeah, and I, I, know, I know some of them as well. Like they've had kids. You know, I know some of them probably as well as I do my friends that I see on a daily basis yeah, because you sort of, you, you live their life through their feed. And sometimes that isn't real. Sometimes that is. Mm. And like... But I would have, I, there'd be people that I talk to more on there than my friends that I see down the pub type thing. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. But from my point of view, I always want to try and promote agriculture to people that don't necessarily want agriculture promoted to them. Mm-hmm. And not in a preach... I don't want to go about a preachy way. And like, for, um, combine karaoke isn't the right way to do it. It's our way to do it. Yeah. And it gets people involved in something that... Everyone sings in their car. You know, people drive along in their yeah. car singing. It's exactly the same as that. We spend a lot of time in those tractor cabs, and I think it just gives that sort of human effect. But if it then does spark a conversation with like, oh, so what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Great. You know, maybe that's one more person that has an interest in agriculture. And from my point of view, that we can't do that enough. Yeah. I suppose the next stage as well is awareness is one thing and getting people to sort of understand and talk about farming and agriculture, but what do we want people to do? Is this is this a matter of actually going into where you buy your weekly shop and buy British? Or is it to um, go and support a local farmer or not rant and rave when when there's muck being spread or, or hedges being cut? Or what are, what are we trying to achieve? Yeah, it's... Uh, I, I struggle sometimes with some of the, the bits and bobs that goes on. Uh, the... What... From if if you go to the supermarket and you earn however much it is per day per per week month and your money goes to that supermarket, I find it slightly ethically wrong to go. I'm going to buy the British bacon that's double the price because yeah. I think that's better, even though I know that actually that means that I only have now eight pounds to spend on the rest of my shop, whereas I would have a tenner. Yeah, I find that difficult because 
people spend, well, the vast proportion of people's income is spent on feeding themselves. And I know that food has never been cheaper and all the rest of that, but it's one of the biggest weekly expenditures per week of a family. It goes out, does the family shop or doesn't anymore. It does it much more, you know, food is much more on demand than it used to be. However, I always want to promote what we're doing. You know, I want to say that British is best and I want to say that we have the highest production standards and I want to say that we have the best animal health and I want, to, I want people to understand that because then I want people to be able to make the choice and go, well, actually, I will pick up that pack of bacon because I know that it has, it has not the pigs had a great life and the one from Denmark has it. It's not that. It's the case of going, actually, I know where that's coming from and I know that it has been produced to a good standard and that's why I'm putting it in my basket. I'm not putting it in my basket because I really want to support Britain and everything else and it's great. I'm putting it in my basket because I believe that actually that is a higher welfare piece of food for me to give to my children. Mm. And that's for me is where I'd like it to go. Um, I'd like people to have more understanding. The, the lack of understanding is terrifying but also I think it's our own fault. I think sometimes, I think we've got arrogant in the fact that people should understand how farming works. Why? Why should people understand? I don't know how telecoms work. Exactly. I know yeah, it works. That's what I often and think. I pick up my farm and I win I pick up my phone and I whinge when I don't have 4G, but I've got no idea how it works. Yeah. And I, but you know, and that's the same with people in agriculture. People the general public, why should they know? And okay, phones, I mean the argument is is that our phone is as essential as food these yeah. days. It's got everything on it. Why should they know? They shouldn't, people should, we shouldn't assume that people want to understand or have a need to understand, but we should want to try and let them have the opportunity to understand. And I think that's all that we can do really. And I think we can do it better, mm. but I think that we are, I think we are in the last five, 10 years, I think we've got much better at promoting ourselves. Mm. Do you think when, I'm going to say when subsidy, the subsidy system is reformed, because I think it's inevitable that it will, yeah. Yeah. um, ag bill or no ag bill, um, do you think that will help? Because is there a perception that you've got? So you've got the one side, you go for your weekly shop and you've got food prices and you've got buying British and you've got Red Tractor. Mm. And then on the other side, you've got a sort of vague understanding that farmers receive subsidy payments, yeah. but that's perhaps seen as more of a handout rather than necessarily the the ins and outs of BPS and yeah. all that sort of stuff. I mean, I think that the... Uh, basic payment scheme, sorry, there was a... Yeah, there's oh. jargon in there, basic payment scheme, the subsidy system. The subsidy system is massively flawed, in my opinion. Um, working on an acreage basis, I don't have a better system. That's that's basically where I sit on it. And I think it is a huge... I think it's a flawed system, but it works. Yeah. It has proven to work. Um, it has caused all sorts of issues it coming out will cause even more issues um but i agree with you i think it's an it's a, it's a when not if that we, it gets withdrawn especially in the current format on an acreage basis um it's impossible to explain the subsidy system to a farmer like i sit and go through it and i haven't got a scooby-doo what i'm doing you know you read the thousand page booklet and you think and you just hope to God that you're ticking all the damn boxes yeah. that they want you to tick. And why, I'm why pretty land, sure I am. land agents exist. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly why land agents exist. Because <laughs> somebody brighter than me can go, oh, well, you haven't ticked box 37 part Z. And you're like, <laughs> I didn't even know that was there. So how are you ever going to explain that system to non-farmers uh, and non-land agents? And then all you're going to get is headline figures, which are the cap is the biggest part of European spending. Most of taxpayers' money comes out in the cap. You know, that is, that's where it stands at, sorry, common agricultural policy, which is the subsidy system. So from a general, uh, gen from the general public's point of view, we're getting handed money. That's, that's how it works, is that we are being handed money to produce food. In which case, why isn't food prices cheaper? 
And if that system changes, are food prices going to rise dramatically? No. Are we going to suffer? Yes, probably. But I think there's an element of resilience to it. There's an element of the whole, oh, we're farmers, we always pull through. But I think if you are sat not changing your farming system or trying to work out how you can operate in a non-subsidy world, Mm. I think you're either hugely naive or have a large pension pot that I don't have. Um, And I think that is something that we're certainly looking at. Without the single farm payment, we struggle to be profitable, massively struggle. Um, There's there's no two ways about it. As an arable farm, uh, we at £130 a tonne, we we struggle. Yeah, and this is a topic, I was talking with Rob Havard on this yesterday. Um, It's something that I don't think he's spoken about enough. No, It's something that is so fundamental, and yet it's not vocalised, really. No, it's not vocalised. And I think, I don't know, sometimes you think, is there an element of embarrassment? Because I, as a farmer and as a businessman, I shouldn't have to be propped up, really. If you, if you go from the in the short, the pure, and I appreciate that obviously big businesses, when they go bust, the government will step in yeah. because it relies on thousands and thousands of people. In the same way that agriculture has thousands and thousands yeah. of people within the system. But as a businessman, I want to be a profitable businessman without ha- receiving a handout. That's, that's how I want to run. Um, but could I tomorrow if, the, if it got withdrawn like that? Probably not. But then also the rents that we pay are set, including single farm payment. You know, there's, there's a lot of that. So suddenly, would, but then would the rent drop overnight? No. So that's where as a tenant farmer, I sit going, oh, yeah, this is where we really struggle. Take out, take out how much it is I, a year I pay in rent. Yeah, we're profitable. Absolutely. And if, if you're, a, I think if you're, I don't want to generalize too much, but if you're an owner occupier sat on a farm that you own with no mortgage, great. I think you're, you're, you're pretty safe, to be completely honest. Um, but there aren't many of them. People, and that's the other thing that people have this opinion of, is that we are all rich, yeah. driving around in Range Rovers, massive new combines, but like, everyone's, everyone's in their overdraft. Everyone has got borrowings mm-hmm. up to their eye. Like, yeah. And borrowing, and that's the other thing. traditionally loved farmers. Absolutely, because we're the, like, especially now, with land values as they are, you know, this, this, the safest place to have money mm-hmm. is, is land. I mean, look at Mr. Dyson. He's gone out and bought pretty much everything that it could. And fair play to him. I have absolutely no problem with that because as far as I can see, he farms it bloody well. He is investing more yeah. money than we could ever even dream of investing in the environment, in upgrading his systems, in and he, from what I can and he's and he's open about it. Yeah. Like you look at his the the, the beeswax Dyson page, they, they show you what their costs are. And he goes out on country file and people listen because he's a multimillionaire who goes I can't make farming work without subsidy. And then suddenly me as a little 500 acre tenant goes, oh, I can't make it work either. This is brilliant. Mr. <laughs> Dyson's on the same level as me. Um, so yeah, I think it's, um, I, yeah, sorry, I go off on tangents, but I think it's, um, yeah, subsidy is a, is, a, is a really interesting one. I think moving it twi- towards the environment is not a bad thing. Um, I think you have to be very careful with how you do that. Um, soil health is obviously a massive thing but how do you measure soil health that is something that I don't think you'll ever get a clear cut answer from anybody because I don't think there is my my sand here is going to be very different to the lovely fens grade ones over there that you can grow anything it's basically like growing in gold Um, so yeah there will be a move away where it ends up I don't know from my point of view I am trying to create a sustainable farming system here 
that relies on less time spent in a field with less soil movement, with less diesel used, hopefully in the end with more sort of uh, nutrient and holistic measures as opposed to chemical me- measures but I think we're a lot I think I'm 10 years away from actually trusting that sort of system mm. um, and then where do I think I might make money getting out of farming diversifying mm. like that's what we that's the way I'm looking at now we've, we've we, um, my wife runs the equestrian side when she moved in she's a riding instructor um, so she runs an equestrian business we put all that in that makes more money per acre than I could ever dream of yeah. with no subsidy, you know? And that's, that's re- realistically the sad thing about it. I want to farm my farm, but I, I can't make the turnover of that business on, on three and a half acres. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I find it amazing, yeah. Pretty much every single farm I go on to, there's the story, which mm. is always the, uh, the farming story, the agricultural story, the, pro- the production side. And then there's the other story, yeah. which is, I find this amazing about farmers that generally you're always I mean in farming you're always juggling lots of things but generally you're, you're juggling different businesses yeah. perhaps on the same site um, and trying to make all those work at once trying to make them work high harmonious especially with horses and yeah. machinery that's the trickiest one um, and it's also I'm not intelligent enough to run that sort of that many balls in the air I struggle enough just trying to keep a farm running let alone everything yeah. else but yeah so that's it's but that's what infuses me. I love, I love that. I, I, God, I'll get slated for this, but I get bored of farming. If I'm completely honest, farming is quite dull, especially arable farm. And as much as I would promote it to the end, I would stand and let people beat me whilst promoting agriculture. Whew, there's only so many hours you can sit in a tractor without going. Yeah, I'm pretty bored now, especially with GPS and everything else. So you're like, push that button, push this button turn around at the end, push this button again. Like, there's only so many hours a day that I can do that without going, God, I need something else to keep me entertained. Um, and yeah, that's the, and that's the other thing I think we have, like we're filming a new TV program at the moment and you're trying to make agriculture interesting and they're like, yeah, so, and from the TV point of view, I'm like, oh no, but it's good because we're gonna go out and plant this field. They're like, how long are you gonna be out there? I was like, oh, 10 hours. Well, we've only got 10 hours of television, so <laughs> what are you going to do other than that? I was like, oh, I won't be doing anything else. I'll be sat on that tractor for 10 hours drilling. Right. So we can't make that into a TV programme because that isn't exciting. I'm like, no, you're right, it isn't. It really isn't because I get bored. Um, and that's the, really, that's the really difficult part about it is that it's, it, it, we all think that it is exciting. And like within the industry, it is. there's so many developments going on. Like from my point, I love technology. Like the technology and the fact that I can drive that tractor down at two and a half centimetres every single time under an inch blows my mind, like blows my, and I I love it. And when the technology's working, can't get over it. But also, you know, oh yeah. So now I literally just, to get the, to plant seed, I push one button to turn the steering on and one button to lower the drill. And at the end of the field, I push this opposite button and turn the tractor around and come back again. That's it. As long as everything's working. And then I spend a lot of time looking behind me going, oh yeah, everything's working. That's good. Looking in the camera going, still got seed in the hopper, yeah. that's good. And then I go, oh, I haven't got seed in the hopper, I'll put some more in. So what, what do you think, what's going through your head in those, in those miles? That's the th- but that's where, you... that's where combine karaoke comes yeah. in, because you're like, oh, I've been here a long time, and there's only so much, I'm like, too much time to think for me is dangerous. Because yeah. I come up with stupid ideas. Um, <laughs> or like, and actually, like, there is a serious point to it, is that like, obviously mental health has become massive world, uh, worldwide with, with anything, but in agriculture, it's... It's awful, it, you know. It's terrible. Do we lose a farmer a week? Yeah. Two farmers a week is it? And um, I can't remember the stats off the top of my head. But and you can see why. You've got a lot of time in your own headspace 
especially if you're in on tractor or especially if you're in livestock and it's pissing it down with rain and you're on your own and sheep or cows aren't playing ball and you're not making money like beef prices have got to the lowest thing like you're losing money with every cattle that you've, you've looked after that cow for 18 months before you've sold it and then you're losing money selling it that's as a mind thing that is really depressing and I, you can see how people get depressed about that sort of stuff because we are isolated and we spend a lot of time on our own with our own thoughts and if those thoughts are happy and stupid and you end up singing to a camera great but if they're not, if you are in a place where you go, just sold 100 cows, I've lost £1,000 on each cow, I've got more to sell, that can be a very dark place and it can get very dark very quickly. Yeah. And I think that's for me where I go, I might as well just sing it at a camera and post it on the internet because maybe somebody will enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but that's sort of a, yeah, a much more serious side to it because of the amount of time. And that's the other thing now with farming is that here, for example, 500 acres, we were only 300 back in the day, but we're 500 now with the extra FBT land. Dad was here with four staff, like when he, when he came in the late 60s, early 70s. So it was him, four staff. Now it's me on my own. And you used to have people to talk to, and now you don't. And that, I think, is a very dangerous place sometimes for us to be. So do you find you sort of have to make, make time to see people? My thumb gets sore from scrolling, mainly. Uh, but yeah, uh, no, um, yeah, so absolutely, you do have to make time. And I think that's one of the really, really important things. And I think that's, and it's, it's, it's very easy for me to say as a majority arable farmer with mum and dad on the road, that if I want to go away for an evening, or if I want to, if Annie and I want to just shoot off, apart from sorting the dogs out, mum will check the sheep, we can shoot off. You know, we aren't tied to milking every day. We aren't tied to lambing. You know, in February, we know we can't go anywhere. And like, there's times where you can't go harvest all the rest of it. But... Getting off the farm is so important. It, it's just, I can't ever overemphasize it. And that's something that dad was, in my opinion, ahead of his time, because he's 80, whatever he is. Like, he has always encouraged me to make sure I go on holiday. He always, we always, at the end, the start of school holidays, we always went away for two weeks, every single year, without fail. Because as far as that was concerned, that was his break. That was his just time to reset. And like, you actually have more ideas whilst you're away from the farm than you do when you're sat in your little ivory tower. and suddenly the world looks, is a much bigger place because you sit within our, and we're ring fence, I sit within my little 500 acre bubble going, this is all that matters in the world. You know, this, getting this crop in is the most important thing to me at this time. And then suddenly you get outside and go, actually, walking down the beach with my wife is, is pretty cool. Mm. That's pretty great. Uh, we'll get the wheat in at some point in time. It's pissing it down now and it's given me a much better rational view on what is important and I think that is something that we can lose when we get stuck on the farm for too long yeah you've spoken a fair amount about production companies and tv and that kind of thing which obviously started with first-time farmers but uh, that's obviously carried on with other things yeah tell me about that and did, did you expect that to happen did I expect it to happen absolutely not no um I really enjoy it I really really enjoy the tv stuff um I, I'm not terrible at it, which is a good start, I suppose. I love talking to people. I love talking, sadly, as well. So <laughs> that's always a tricky point because uh, I've got to actually listen. Uh, but I love talking to people. I love finding out what their quirks are. I love finding out that the majority of the time we're way more in common than I'd ever give us credit, give sort of two people credit for. Um, and actually, everyone has the same problem. The thing with television and the thing with the media is that your current for the time that the programme is going out 
and then you are old news. Yeah. And that, that classic thing of one minute's newspapers, next minute's shit paper is so true. So, so true. Um, and yeah, did I think like we're filming a new discovery program at the moment, which I never thought was going to come about again. I'm 32 and dull now. Like at 25, I thought I was cock of the walk and all the rest of it. But now I didn't think that was going to come around and it has. And I think hopefully they'll make a really good show out of it. Um, it's terrifying, if I'm completely honest, because it's not just, if it was just me, it wouldn't be so bad. Um, but I'm involving my family now, I'm involving my wife, I'm involving so many different yeah. people that, and I'm involving the next door farm because they're obviously working with us. That is something that does concern me because I don't mind people abusing me and I will get abused for it because that's the way of the world, sadly. Um, but yeah, I think that when you start involving the people that you love in it, that's the bit that scares me slightly. Um, but I really enjoy it. I, um, I, I really enjoy the stuff, whether it's because I'm slightly narcissistic, I don't know. But I enjoy the idea of being able to talk about agriculture to people that don't understand agriculture. If you do want to follow Ali on Twitter, Instagram, it's at YFarm. That's it, yeah. It was a play on words that I decided when I was back in, 20, in my early 20s. I was like, why farm? That's really clever. And then I realised you couldn't put question marks. It didn't really make sense. Uh, and then the end, and then everyone's like, so, and here's Ali. He farms at Y farm. I'm like, no, it's Weir End Farm. Yeah, it was a bit of a, damn it. <laughs> I didn't think this through. It's like your first email address. You're like, oh, yeah. did I really make that? When was Ali Monster ever a thing? That's not a thing. <laughs> you weirdo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The joy of being young. The joy of being young. Right, we're just going to finish in the traditional way, which is with the one-minute soapbox. So this gives guests one minute to talk about a subject of their choice, oh which could be anything to do with farming or non-farming. I mean, you are a rugby man. We haven't spoken about rugby at all, so it could be on that, or it could be something else. Cool. Rugby. You ready? Yeah. Okay, so one minute on the clock. Ali Hunter player starting now. So, yeah, Rugby World Cup is on at the moment, which is probably the most important six weeks in my four-year cycle. My wife will be very upset about that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it is on, and I think that England have got a very good chance. They're just mellowing nicely under the surface. Um, it's very nice to see that there have been some upsets. Uruguay beating Fiji was unbelievable game. I was very, uh, saying down in Cornwall watching that going, they can't do this, they can't do this. And then suddenly Japan have just beaten Ireland, 1913, number one ranked team in the world. That is massive. And like after the last World Cup where they beat South Africa and then they've beaten them in Japan. And then suddenly like we watched, I just watched the end of it and Japan has just... I mean, the parties in Tokyo tonight will be unbelievable. For Japan to beat the world number ones in their Ten own seconds. country is incredible. But I reckon it will be uh, England-New Zealand final, if that can happen. Oh, okay. Very good. Super. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> it's good, though. Oh, uh, it's brilliant. Thanks so much for that. No, um, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, I go off give on a, tangents. Um, yeah, but before I do go, give me a... Um, and I'm not around for very long, but give me a... Uh, if you're the tourist board of Ross and Y... Uh, what, what what could I get up to around here? Tourist board Ross and White. Uh, so you've got the, the view at Simmons Yacht looking over the river is absolutely magnificent. Though we're so lucky to have the Y Valley that wiggles up through us. And actually, that's our next diversification. We're just going into glamping in an old horse box. Oh, really? So yeah, just getting up. Yeah, just getting it up and running. It was meant to be up and running for the summer, but life got in the way um, so it's just gone into position. So yeah, the Y Valley is just beautiful. Canoeing down the river on a lovely sunny September day. There's a little delicatessen in Ross called Truffles, which will be open today. Okay. If you want lunch. Nice plug oh, there. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah, sadly I don't own it because it is delicious. Five pound <laughs> meal deal is fantastic. 
Um, Ross on Y is mainly charity shops and coffee shops, but it's working its way back through. Okay. Monmouth is beautiful as well. There's lots of, like the Forest of Dean, if you're a mountain biker, Forest of Dean is the way forward. Hey on Y, if you're into your literary stuff, or up onto the Malverns. I mean, we're very lucky where we live. Very, very lucky. Brilliant. Perfect. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. And no, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Get back on the road. Ali Hunter-Blair, who you can find on Twitter or Instagram at YFarm. That's W-Y-E-F-A-R-M. Next time, I'm sticking in Herefordshire and I'll be meeting veg and beef farmer Ben Andrews near Lempster. Big thanks to the Mercy Charitable Foundation who supported this episode, Tom Bland also for all his help with production, and to you, of course, for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and also share this with someone you know or on your social media networks. That would really help us grow the podcast, so that would be great. In the meantime, I'll look forward to you joining me next time on Meet the Farmers.